Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jantz, co-founder of Agency Revolution, and delighted to be with you today with this podcast, the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Attract, the powerful marketing suite that enables you to spend less time on the details and the drudgery of marketing and more time growing your business, Attract gives you the technology and the content you need to find your ideal prospect and turn them into your best customer. If you haven't done it lately, visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo today. Uh, I think you're going to love this conversation with uh, my colleague and friend, David Smith. He's the CEO of Global Futures and Foresight. Uh, he's an internationally recognized futures strategist, keynote speaker, uh, also happens to be a fellow member of um, PIA Nationals InsureTech um, Leadership Advisory Board, which I have the pleasure of co-chairing. And um, well, clearly this is a this was a uh, conversation that that I had to have, so I reached out to David. We uh, coordinated our time zones so that I could catch him outside of London uh, with me here uh, in the Casita in Arizona. And um, I, I just uh, I think you'll find it fascinating as uh, his well, his profession is uh, identifying the trends and the futures that are uh, emerging and um, impacting uh, the present and making some astute um, projections about what life is going to be like in the future. And uh, he, uh, he, he works across many, many industries. I recommend, really highly recommend uh, checking out his most recent report on his website where he uh, reviews the potential impact of uh, the current events on 20 different industries. And you may be active insuring one or more of those. So um, check out his website um, at, uh, at Global Futures and Foresight. Um, and so really, without much further ado, I want to put again put this into perspective, first of all, by saying thank you for being um, loyal listeners. Um, and uh, also uh, remind you, if you've missed any, I think this is this conversation is number eight in a series which have been largely devoted to the impact of the COVID virus um, on our life and on your business, running an independent insurance agency, uh, all, I think, with really, really practical advice and all really very different perspectives. I have one or two more uh, in the queue with, uh, again, very practical ways to uh, deal with what we're dealing with all right now. So if you've missed any, go back and check them out. And uh, again, want to remind you, please connect with me on LinkedIn so you don't miss any of the groovy, juicy stuff. And uh, also, very quick reminder, again, thanks for all the responses uh, I have so far. Um, I've had the opportunity to really work with many of the best thought leaders and most insightful leaders in the industry. Taken their advice, uh, compiled it, um, and organized it into a toolkit. Simple. Uh, basically designed to help you gain clarity of thinking and to give you a very clear uh, action plan for success during the current crisis. You can get it for free, 8steptoolkit.com, 8steptoolkit.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Let's be friends. And now without further ado, great privilege to be able to introduce you to this conversation with my colleague, David Smith. David Smith, hello, how are you from across the pond? Nice to be with you, Michael. I'm well. Thank you very much. You well? well yeah, indeed. Good to see you again. Last time I saw you, I think we were in Florida uh, at a PIA National um, InsureTech Advisory Board meeting. So uh, I'm excited about this conversation. You've been on my mind uh, to have a conversation uh, anyway, but now with the current crisis, 
it seems that looking into the future um, and how uh, you know, current forces uh, are impacting the world that we're going to be living in, it's abs so absolutely critical that uh, I couldn't delay this conversation any longer. So thank you so Great. much. <laughs> if you'd be You're kind welcome. enough, um, but give, give us a little bit of background on how you got to be where you are and, and what it is that your firm does now. Sure, let's start off with the firm. The firm is, we're a futurist firm. We investigate the future in pretty much the same way that a historian investigates the past and forms new views of what it was like. We investigate the future and form new views of what that will be like. And as we find out more, we, we, we enhance those views. So that's what we do. We evaluate the future and we bring that to people in a way that hopefully is consumable, use, useful, usable. Because uh, my background is commercial. My background is IT firms, large IT services uh, firms. And it was all about implementing systems, about using new technology. But uh, one of the things I always recognize is that invariably we are disastrous at taking on new technology. We make it do old things slightly faster or cheaper or better. <laughs> and then eventually we work out that actually it can do a bit more than that. And actually it transforms the very nature of what we do uh, more than just how we do it. So um, that's how we, the two sides, if you like, join together. I can see ahead where we're heading. I can see what we're, we're engaging with. and I can see how that will make a difference. Uh, okay. So you raised something and, and, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to start with this, okay? Uh, first of all, I want to start with the, uh, uh, what is uh, almost the very last thing in your most recent report where you uh, analyze the trends affecting, I think it was 20 different industries, yes. right? So, so yeah. you, really, you really didn't leave much out. Um, and you ended up with a quote from, um, I think, the man I probably most respect in uh, the world of business advisory, Peter Drucker. Uh, who, who seemed to be so, so, so poignant, uh, hit the nail on the head about virtually everything. Uh, he said, the assumptions on which the organization has been built and is being run no longer fits reality. Uh, it, it start with a, a comment on that, if you would, David. Yeah, I mean, if you look about, the, if you go back to 2000, 20 years ago, about 70% of firms who existed then no longer exist in their current form. They've mostly been uh, savaged one way or the other by new forms of business process and certainly new technologies and upstart firms who have taken their business. So we've seen a massive change already. But even with that in, in mind, we still haven't recognized that, you know, if we keep doing the same thing, eventually it'll turn out to be the wrong thing. And in many ways, Drucker's, you know, hideously simply right that we have to think what do people want? And it isn't about what people want in our sector. Or, or our, our existing customers want. And I think it was um, Jobs who once said, sometimes customers don't know what they want until you show it to them. Mm -hmm. And that's the very nature of where we're at. That's what Instech's about in so many ways. That's what RegTech, FinTech, you name it, there's endless techs looking at new ways of doing things that appear bizarre and ridiculous, but ultimately they're offering new types of capability to people who have similar issues. And uh, so I think, I think Drucker's right. You know, we've got to be aware of thinking that we're owed a future. Things are always going to remain the same. People are always going to buy the same sort of product. And we're always going to engage with them in the same way. That just isn't true. Okay. So, uh, again, I think, you know, the, the reason I want to have this conversation right now uh, is because it seems like uh, we've been in fairly turbulent times to begin with. I mean, I, I, I think that the agency system, which is my audience, has um, oh, you know, somewhere between uh, dim recognition and complete recognition uh, has, has to some extent, you know, kind of depending on where they are, recognized that the world around them is changing. Um, and I, 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 you also put that into perspective by quoting uh, something from the Society of Actuaries, right? Where, you, where, where they said the root causes of decline in public companies are strategic risks, 60% rather than operational risks, 30% or financial risks, uh, 10%. So here's a perspective I have, uh, David, is that to a large extent, um, with, with uh, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about before, somebody could operate, run, be the principal of an independent insurance agency, perhaps for their entire career, a generation. 
yeah. and maybe maybe fuss their way through one major strategic um, uh, impact, one significant trend, maybe one or two. Uh, so, for example, in the previous generation, somebody may have you know taken over an agency in 1970, and somewhere during their career. Uh, there was, uh, you know, sort of the glimmer of digitization. People got computers and agency management systems, and they either they either fought their way through that, or perhaps they uh, merged or were acquired. And and there was about a 50-50 proposition. I think we saw a significant consolidation of independent insurance agencies. Uh, but you know, then uh, after 2000, 2005, uh, the, the the internet really uh, sort of transformed the impact of digitization. Consumer behavior changed, uh, new technologies emerged. And so I've been kind of ringing the bell that the, the pace of acceleration is changing significantly. Pay attention, you know, like we're, we're approaching the point where there's a dividing line between an old school agency and a new school agency or a modern insurance agency. Now, kaboom, uh, we get hit with a pandemic. And, and you had said um, uh, in your report, <clears throat> Apart from the pandemic, we are at the start of the greatest impact of technology on our lives and organizations that we ever experienced, and the rate of impact is accelerating. So I'm wondering, like, the, when those two forces, it's like, you know, it, it, if you, you know, maybe if there's a storm, you know, you're in the ocean and, and a current, you know, two currents hit each other, uh, or, you know, I'm probably not a very good uh, oceanic navigator, but, you know, boom, all of a sudden you, you see you see forces uh, compounding against each other, and the amount of turbulence is uh, is um, of a higher magnitude altogether, not just incremental, but significant. So, um, it, it, those, those were your terms, your words. So, uh, that's I'm going to ask you to start with that. Those two things coming together. They um, they're not made. Up, they're simply not made up to be dramatic or to be um, sensational. It's a realization that's probably crept up on me over 40 years, to be honest, that the pace and the rate and the scope of change is accelerating exponentially. So the number of people involved in commerce globally, the number of players in the world is accelerating, the number of new technologies that are approaching maturity and collaborating together to provide new capabilities. At the same time, we've got generational thinking around the uh, Z generation, which probably are the link generation, who are not just digital natives, they're digital online real-time natives. And we're also hitting the, the other side of the tsunami, if you like, and it's two tsunami waves hitting each other, to take your analogy even further. <laughs> okay. It's just for the fun of it, is, um, which cancel each other out, by the way, so it's not a great analogy. <laughs> but it, it, it's fairly terrible. Well, it doesn't feel like that, like that when you're in the middle of it, so. <laughs> exactly, it doesn't feel like it when you're in the middle of it. But essentially, you've got the other side is, we have been learning over the last five or six years in particular to do things differently with different elements of our lives. So it isn't like our insurance broker or our banker or our, our cinema are dramatically different, but many, many other aspects of our lives are introducing new business models that we're getting used to. We're doing home delivery of foods. We're buying things on Amazon. We're, we're doing things on telehealth. We're doing uh, on and telemedicine. We're gradually changing our attitude to the availability of services, of products uh, that can be downloaded at the drop of a button. The, the whole apps economy is a world of instant application. I download it and I run it in a minute. So mm -hmm. That's the sort of level of expectation I have for changing software. Now, the whole point is those two things are happening at the same time. The rate at which we're expecting, um, increasingly ex expecting um, more change in our lives, uh, the rate at which we're expecting new propositions and new ways of doing things is accelerating at the same rate as the capability to do new things. And if you put those together, you just say, heck, what, you know, insurance, for example, quantified everything. So you sell health insurance, you ask me once a year how I'm doing, you maybe make me do a medical, some people are smart enough to use their social records to find out how, how I really am, and marry it. Actually, in the future, I know how well you are. You're giving me access to your telemedicine for your, your <laughs> metrics. Yeah. I will insure you hourly. So if you're doing something that's physically harmful to you, bad luck, your rate just went up. 
<laughs> if you're doing something quite innocuous, as is, or you're riding a bicycle in a safe area or in a home, and the roof is sound and no accidents ever happen there, your mm -hmm. rate goes down right. to insure you. So, I even though they're very long-term um, insurances, I may take a different attitude to your uh, participation in uh, managing that risk. You've bought a policy for a manager risk. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I can manage that real time. Yeah. So. You think about, and the second thing is that risk is about a whole multitude of things, how you feel. And this is the broker's world. I deal with you as an individual. I don't deal with you as a policyholder of a, of a health or critical injury or blah, 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 even though I may have to force you to buy that individual silo component. I deal with you as, a, as somebody I know. I may have known your father. I know you and, and your job and the lifestyle you lead. And we've had a relationship for a long time. And I make suggestions. Actually, in the future, if I just apply the smart AI engine and you just share with me a conversation every week, I can tell you what risk I need to cover for you mm -hmm. and how I need to adjust that. Yeah. And then I need, I'm, I'm only going to deal with the, in the background, I'm dealing with all the regulation. You may cover 10 policies, but that's my problem. You just go, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to pay 340 bucks a month. So, so this is the personalization of insurance, uh, moving away from the, the sort of the product model to the yeah. personalized product that you talk about in your report. Yes. Okay. It's very much the case that we, yeah. we're going to okay. manage, we're going to live in a quantified world and that's going to be quite different. Okay. So I want to draw a couple of conclusions already from what you've said and tell me if I'm right on. One is that the rate of changes uh, has uh, significantly accelerated. Truth to that, I mean, it's just faster, okay? Absolutely. Uh, and, and then number two, there's a therefore. Therefore, the ability to adapt, the ability to navigate, the ability to move quickly now becomes a, um, a fundamental business skill for the entrepreneur or the insurerpreneur. Got it, okay. Well, what's even more exciting, if I just had a third element, so I know you like adding elements together. We've got these three elements. The third okay. element is that if you're in the middle of anything, it's the value you bring. Now, if I just act as a distribution agent of a, of a product or service, I'm, I'm not really adding that much value. I'm adding some value and I'm, I'm personalizing it as far as I can and we have a relationship, but I'm broadly speaking delivering, delivering, delivering what I have to deliver to you. Whereas in the future, the intermediary will bring a whole bunch of other value from the network of people they engage with to that individual. So if I'm in the world about risk and protection and coverage, yeah. mm -hmm. what am I doing? What am I actually doing with you in your life? How am I protecting your life? What, what other aspects of thinking about does that really involve from you as a person, not you as a, as a buyer of insurance, but yeah. you as a person, okay. what, what, is it, what is it doing? It's changing. It's changing the expectation of what the broker can deliver. Now, when it's not just components of what an insurer bring you, the insurer can't go direct. He's nowhere near going to offer the same service. He's not offering that broad range of capability that you've got a network of six other firms or six other agencies you work with mm -hmm. in your network that yeah. you, take to your, you take to your customer. And maybe you can do things quicker, cheaper, better, faster, because you're in that network and you're dealing around those issues for that individual. So it's much richer than just bringing a product to a customer. And I don't mean to belittle that far from okay. it. No, no, no. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into insurance. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going to move now because I'll, I need a plug in. So forgive me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll alert my producer. <laughs> Sorry about this. <laughs> that's okay. Now I, my, my producer can cut this out and I can tell him exactly where it happened. So we'll be fine. Yeah, sorry about that. We need to go over anything else so we can do that, but I need to plug in. Forgive me about that. There you go. Okay, Michael, we can spend the rest of my life now doing this. Okay, as, as long as there's electricity. All right. Uh, so, um, I, I want, I'm looking at your report and I want to get, I want to dive into a few of the key points that you said here. One was that you said, you quoted McKinsey. McKinsey believes that the US and Eurozone's economies could take until 2023 to fully recover from the impact of the pandemic. So I don't know if you have much more to add to that, but does that uh, strike you as a, uh, a reasonable projection? Well, I mean, if you talk to economists, and I've talked to quite a few economists, they're all, they seem to have very different views of how quickly we can recover from any um, recession. 
any, but the view is, if you think of the scale of this thing, 30, we're talking 35% or 40% drop in GDP in the second quarter. And the, the, last, um, the last great, the Great Recession, we lost 6%, and the Depression, we lost 8%. So we're talking about one serious shock to the economy. We're talking about, um, we're talking about states buying primary government debt, i.e. governments make up money yeah. and, and the banking system buys it. You know, at least they used to go into the secondary market so it had some sense of um, pretense. This is now called helicopter money. It's, it doesn't really exist and banks and governments don't like it. So number one is you've got quantitative easing was money you had to get out of the system at some point. And we haven't even done that after the Great Recession. We've still got trillions of, of, um, of, of debt. This time we're going to have debt coming out of our ears um, for quite a, a while. Yeah. Now, the issue is this. Can we get back to business? As you well know, this is all over the TV every night. Can we get the economy up and running? Can we get people back to work? Or have they been laid off long term? And even when we get them back to work, are we going to have sufficient volume to keep some businesses viable as we go forward? Cinemas and theatres and shops. Is there going to be the, the volume in restaurants? Is there going to be a volume of traffic allowed to allow them to be viable? And the danger is that they survive the shock and the crisis, but they fail in the recovery. So on the one hand, you've got V, because we can get out of this quite quickly if we get it up and running relatively quickly. The bad news is we end up with a, with a U or even an L, which is endless misery. Uh, we don't want that one. Yeah, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's, there is not a simple answer to say, you know, we're, we're going to be struggling in five years' time, but we are going to be struggling. Potentially, we'll see sectors decimated through this. Okay, so the next thing, <clears throat> the next quote that I wanted you to comment on was, uh, again, uh, you had shared this one from the World Economic Forum, yeah. um, that the industry's hardest hit by COVID-19, including commercial airspace, totally makes sense, uh, travel, totally makes sense, and insurance may see a slower recovery. So I wanted to ask you about that because, uh, you know, if, so, so for example, uh, you know, I've got, I've got friends and colleagues who run restaurants. I've got friends and colleagues who run dental practices. I mean, businesses that are just virtually shut down, right? They're down to 10 or 20% of the volume they had a couple of months ago. Uh, now, you know, m my clients, they're not shut down. They uh, are feeling some pain. They're feeling anxiety. Yes. Uh, they're feeling, uh, you know, clearly uh, most are having some lo projected loss of income, <laughs> loss of valuation. Um, but in, in most cases, uh, able to muscle, muscle through this. So I've felt that insurance, because things still need to be insured, my car, my home, my, you know, if I have a business, my business. Um, and so, uh, you know, this industry seems to have some shock absorbers built into it that other industries don't. If you could comment on that, how, how badly do you think we will be hurt? Well, uh, A, I think insurance is very resilient because much, much of it is an enabler and needs to be there to allow us right. to do the things <laughs> we want to take a risk on. Do I want to buy a house or run a car or am, am I entitled to run a car without buying insurance? You know, there's a whole bunch of, 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 of logistics in there, but let's take a few of these things. A lot of insurance is discretionary, and the rate at which we have it is discretionary, at least if not the the very presence of it, the depth of it. Health insurance we might take the the, the extent of um, critical person uh, insurance, the the depth of other forms of insurance. So, I remember talking to a, a principal insurer in in Leadenhall in, in the city of London about this, and you've only got at least five percent revenue, and and you're not you no longer can afford the the smart people and the pretty premises, you only need a very small drop in, in absolute top line revenue to seriously damage and undermine the insurance company. And that starts imp in, in, impacting everybody. You know, if, if products and services start getting priced out the market because simply people can't afford it, and you've got massive unemployment, if you have, if you have. Yeah, okay. <laughs> who, who, some people aren't going to be buying the insurances they used to. They just simply can't afford it. They've got other things to deal with. Their 401ks could be damaged and maybe maybe damaged for a long while. Personally, I'm hoping not because I've got American stock. But the, um, <laughs> the, the bottom line is, you know, right now we're talking about 30 odd percent, 40 percent drop. These are ludicrous percentages. We wouldn't even we wouldn't even countenance these before. And we're, we're getting used to them and they're affecting pension schemes and everything. So there isn't going to be the money 
potentially for a little while for insurers to to take. Okay, so let's talk about, let, let's look, I, I, I want to examine the industry, I ask you to examine the industry first in some detail, and then let's take a look at uh, how this potentially affects the, uh, the distribution sector, the independent insurance agency system. So uh, you had said, insurers that are not dependent on paper-based applications and processes will almost certainly stand a better chance than analog insurers in surviving what is almost certainly set to be a period in which insurers, possibly many of them, fail. So you got a lot packed into one sentence. Well, you know, one is, yeah. is the, the, the specter of failure hanging over um, uh, the supply system. And two is, I, I think you're uh, making some forecasting on who's more likely to succeed and who's not. So talk to us. I mean, that, uh, you know, the notion of failure, you know, I, I've certainly had clients who represent carriers who went out of business and it's always a disastrous, even with the guarantee fund, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a black eye on the agency and it's a disruption and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hurtful and it's uh, hurtful in many, many ways. Uh, I, I, and I know, I'm sure that this is, I, you know, there's no, there's no way to arrive at a number. There are too many unknowns here, but talk a little bit about that, the possibility of failure of, of carriers. Uh, how, how close to the precipice are some? Well, it's quite interesting. The, um, the whole COVID-19 crisis, going to shutdown uh, and lockdown of individuals and moving staff to homes has, has highlighted to a lot of players, their, their readiness to adopt digital. Mm -hmm. I've just finished talking to CIOs in some of the biggest insurance companies in the city of London. I was running a project, so right. I literally finished speaking to them. Mm -hmm. Some took massive delight in saying how they literally turned the lights off in the office, people stayed home and they carried on the next day. There was absolutely no interruption. All the equipment they had, the laptops they had, the security they had, the processes they had were all entirely digital. So they could literally debunk the office, stay at home, and the company didn't miss a beat. That was a quote from one of the CIOs. On the other hand, I talked to others who were still culturally not prepared to believe that you had to do things in a new way. They didn't have the technology. They had old tech. They had very much analog thinking, analog processes. Still a lot of paper sloshing around. And they couldn't move. They, they moved to offices. One told me they shut down for three weeks. I mean, it hasn't got out, and I'm not going to name them. But for three weeks, they did nothing when they moved uh, home. They, could, they, did, they had no processes. They had no way of moving paper. They had no way of moving policies. They had no way of un un agreeing underwriting. They had no way of, of, of conducting their business. Now, if you're that fragile, when something like this hits, and at the same time, as you well know, Instech, is snapping at the heels of a lot of insurers. And mm -hmm. insurers, even if those guys don't succeed independently, they'll get bought up by more uh, creative principles, the carriers who will embed their thinking into their offers and do the running uh, for them. So digital was more attractive to the customer in so many ways. It's more convenient. It's easier to run. It's cheaper. It's faster to get on risk. It's more adaptable because you can have smart AI engines in real time in the background pricing. So moving to AI pricing. So digital allows you to do a lot more things you simply can't do in an analog world. And that's what eventually kills the analog company. It cannot cope. It's death by a thousand cuts. It cannot cope with one more and one more and one more capability. I mean, some of these guys, believe it or not, I worked with one recently who it's got, in their name is Electronic Insurance. I'm not going to say who they are. They're a relatively sizable company. And when I went to see them, they eventually explained to me that nothing is online. None of their capabilities at all <laughs> are online. Yeah. And we were talking about the next stage of digital. And they were simply saying, we need to get online first. We need to have people change their names and addresses for themselves online. And you go, whoa. By the time you catch up, and my comment to the CEO, who was the starter of that company, actually, my comment to him was simple. I said, by the time you catch up, the others will have moved on. You're wasting your time. Uh, uh, so therefore what? 
Therefore, what he stayed for two hours in his boardroom, in his DJ, he changed because he was out for dinner that night. Yeah. He changed, his driver brought his suit to the office and he changed in front of me. He said, we're not finishing this conversation. To, to, <laughs> so I have to go. Okay, so okay. The, door. Yeah. the point is that a lot of folk are, are, are wandering blindfolded into the future because it doesn't seem that bad. Your point, you made the right uh, point, Mike. Yeah. You know, the boiling frog, and I, you know, I'm going to use that, and I'm sure you've used it a thousand times. If you, this, this isn't true, by the way, anybody who cares about animals and small creatures. But the theory is if you put a, a frog in a pan of cool water and then you gradually raise the heat, it dies, it's boiled in the pan. Whereas you drop a frog in boiling water, which, by the way, don't do at home, the frog jumps out immediately. And we're in that sort of slowly boiling water scenario, and we think everything's good and we can get the business going and we're making revenue. And making, what's the problem? Why would, why would I need to change? And that's why. Got it. All right. So, so uh, what, what you just said mildly shocks me. And I say mildly because really nothing truly shocks me anymore. But, well, and here's why. I mean, to think that there are insurers who are not prepared. And, uh, and the reason that I'm mildly shocked is because you really, for the last five or ten years, you really couldn't read a report from McKinsey or Deloitte or you know right. Bain or any of the major advisories that, uh, where they weren't saying that yeah. that you must go through the digital transformation, yeah. um, you know. And so I, I suppose at the at the agency level we expect more from from upstream, right? Now at the agency level, you know, I and many of my colleagues have been saying the same thing for. 10 or more years. Yeah. Um, and now, and, and so now, boom, we're hit with a crisis and what strikes me is particularly interesting. And I think what you just said is it doesn't seem that bad. It's like, ah, you know, t Tuesday kind of feels like Monday and Wednesday feels like Tuesday and Thursday feels like Wednesday and blah, blah, you know, it's like, oh, and then, you know, next thing you know, like <laughs> everything is different. Well, s sometimes everything is different because the waters went from 211 to 212. But sometimes everything is different because a virus uh, hits, you know, the, the uh, human population, and that's extremely rapid. That so now I've I have surmised that the modern insurance agency is has was much better prepared for this than the old school agency for a few reasons. And tell me if this makes sense to you. Uh, number one, uh, they already proved the ability to adapt. And this is a period that requires adaptation. So because, uh, because adaptability is a skill, to some extent, they already demonstrated that skill. So they were ahead. Number two, that uh, more than likely, they had the capacity to be remote. Uh, so that the remote uh, issue, the, re the remote trend is a good 10 years old, let's say. And the millennial generation, et cetera, is uh, put, uh, increasing demand on remote work because they can say, why not, <laughs> right? I've got all the digital tools here anyway, right? So, so that demand has been greater and they were there. Uh, number three, the modern insurance agency also had the capacity to commute because they had tools, they, because they embraced technology. They had, they most likely had the tools to communicate with their customer base in a time of crisis so when customers needed them the most you know when we say this is a relationship business and the agency <laughs> system more than any other system this is a relationship business and and the modern agency had the tools to uh support that relationship with uh, real advice real insight to give some comfort and some confidence to uh to their uh customer base so i'd always felt like Boom, the modern agency just, you know, ha happened to be in the right place, you know, ha have all of the assets and strengths to adapt fairly quickly to this. And I'm assuming probably the same upstream too, right? So we're, you think we're going to see some changes there. All right. So uh, what, what other impacts do you see uh, uh, being pushed uh, or accelerated on the insurance industry and the insurance broker? Well, I think, you know, what we've seen now is that we are prepared to accept new ways of doing things. So number one is that is the most fundamental shift that's happened. The things that we said could not be done were not possible. We found ways of doing it and they are possible. And to some extent, we buy our shops shopping at home now. We buy things on Amazon. We're getting things delivered if it's available the following day. It's pretty cool. We love it. 
We're buying things digitally. We found online banking works perfectly well. Our money hasn't been stolen the first day we did it. You know, we're not being hit by a fraud <laughs> to the extent that people told me would happen. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things that put us off doing things at a great rush have suddenly happened. And we're going, that's not too bad. I've got a 92-year-old mother who's doing online shopping with a, with a shopping store right. and delivering. In fact, my sister goes and gets food from her house. So, you know, we, we, we've now got a scenario where some of the tools are simple to use. We could use, not, not wishing to advertise, we could use an iPad or something simple. We can point with our finger at what we want and Bob's your uncle, it turns up. Now, look, the bottom line is that, that that's instilled in us. Well, I can work at home. I quite like it. I can take the kids to school. I can do some work. Why would I want to go and be in an office and be, you know, overseen by somebody all day long and have an hour off? I want to be flexible. Now, let's turn, that, let's turn things on its head. Being in the middle, being a broker, being a broker is about the relationship with the individual. And there is nothing better. The good news is the, the carriers want a relationship with the customer as well. They want to provide direct sell insurance. Here's the rub. Direct sell insurance can't implement Internet of Things devices all over that home. So they can't put flood devices. They can't put uh, fire uh, devices because I'm going to move supplier every year. I'm being told to compare prices from my insurer and move them every year. Yeah. I don't have a relationship with you. I don't have a relationship with my insurance carrier ever. I've had them all my life. I have no relationship with them. They have no loyalty from me. If they're there, if they're there more than two or three years, it's because I forgot and I've just, I've just left it. Mm -hmm. Now think about this the other way around as a broker, I can say to you, look, I can get you cheaper insurance. It'll be more, con it'll be better value. I need to fill your house full of IoT devices that can detect water flow, water loss, fire, overheating of devices that can prevent the loss in the first place. So I'm here to protect you because this is about risk. And I can, this bundle is going to cost you $200, a one-off expense. I'll buy half, you pay half. We'll fit them in your home. You know, they're now mine. They're not the carriers. Yeah. They're mine. Right. I can then let the carrier have the data. And they can look at the data and say, yeah, we'll monitor your data. We can see that your customer's doing pretty well. They've got all these devices all over their home. They're not likely to be flooded out because mm -hmm. these sensors cost $140 in the States, by the way. And if they detect water leak, they turn the mains off. Right. So if, if you don't reply to the text they send you within a set agreed amount of time, they turn the water off. So the biggest loss of damage to a home is water loss. And you can eradicate all of it. You can't do that as a carrier because I'm not staying with you next year. So I don't want your devices all over my home. But as a broker, I do want your devices all over my home because I'm going to stay with you, whichever carrier you use. So you, th you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you're uh, uh, jumping into the future a little bit, right? Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You've never done that before. Um, and, and, and I think... Um, uh, uh, forecasting a changing role for the broker, right? So, so, so moving farther and farther away from being a commodity broker, right? Selling a product and moving on to, uh, to, to, and, and uh, to risk management at the individual level. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Precisely. And it's not just risk management from an insurance perspective. It's risk management. Don't buy that car. It's got a lousy security safety record. Ah, you know, don't, yeah, you know, okay. Don't buy that cooker. It blows up. The average of those is we've got all the stats to tell you, you know, just run by me what you're going to buy of any major importance. I'll tell you where it sits on the insurance leagues of things that blow up. I'll tell you where that refrigerator sits, where that cooker sits, where that, uh, you know, I, I'm doing more for you than just being a, a conduit of insurance that you could have bought direct. Okay. Um, all right, so I, I have um, I've, I've got now, now we're digging into what the what what the broker what the broker's life look like what an agency looks like in the future. But I want to take a slight detour and get back to it because you've made yes. reference to this that uh, um, regarding insure techs. Okay, so we've seen billion with B uh, billions of dollars, uh, of venture capital and otherwise, but largely venture, uh, flooded into this industry to accelerate the digital transformation. Um, now, uh, with the pandemic, um, my best assessment, and I've participated in some conversations on this is that, um, that will not stop, 
but some of it will stop and some obviously capital seeks investment right investors look for returns so it's you know so they still so the forces are still there driving it forward uh, but there will be some areas where um, you know they'll find that there's it, it, it's there's too much risk or you know there's there, there's not the future in it that they thought uh, in some areas perhaps where uh, insurtech will continue to flow investments will continue to flow w what's your sense of that where do you think that's going to go because it's, it's it's a major impact on the industry and a lot of it floats down to the agency level and so we watch that really carefully what's your sense as a general view the um a lot of offers that were on the table from venture capitalists are, are being rescinded. A lot of folk are, are pulling those from firm commitments for, for funding, while people take stock of the market, the conditions they're in, the, the economic situation, and are, are not making the full commitments to people for those initial um, statements. What, what's interesting is that if someone can make a decent case, as you well know, that it's likely to get funded. If it's purely speculative, it's not necessarily going to get funded. Uh, the purely speculative possible visions of what things might be in the future. I have sat through quite a few Instech sessions, which by the way, mm -hmm. I don't go to anymore. Yeah. And I love them to pieces, but there's some wacky, crazy ideas. I think we'll see a much more focused view of what the transition uh, involved. Yeah. So less of the speculative, wacky views, more about platforms of engagement, more about... Um, <clears throat> the whole nature of digital. How do you make it easier for people to take on digital? And that includes the brokers. What what is what do they want to what do they want to offer? What will they be offering? What what can they offer um, at a broker level? And, and of course the same for all of the work that is being done with instincts with carriers. You know, will those carriers still continue to fund those instincts to the degree yeah. they did mm -hmm. before? Because maybe they're taking a bit of a shock and trying to deal with the consequences. Bear in mind, they're great investors as well. So they've taken a hit on the investment side in a massive way right now. And it, you know, my view is it'll come back because I have to say that, but the, uh, you know, the truth is it right now, it hasn't come back. So they've, they've lost on treasury, they've lost on potential loss of premium in different ways. They've lost out because maybe there's an acceleration of new propositions mm -hmm. that people take on board that aren't traditional insurance. If I can reduce my risk, why do I want to pay the insurer the same amount of money to cover that risk? If I've if I've uh, if I've um, covered it a different way, yeah, if I've mitigated it. So I think we'll see a whole range of those. So to be honest, I think people the the um, investors will take a a different view about what to invest. It'll be a bit like the dot com bust. There's a a massive excitement as you enter the market, and then there's a realization of what what are sensible propositions that have got the chance of succeeding. And uh -huh. we may have entered, I mean, you can't make a prediction about these things too well, but we may have entered a bit of realism creeping in. Because I look at things like retech, regtech, health tech, fintech, other, yeah. every area of business has got a tech going mm -hmm. with it, I promise you. And some of those things you think, well, that could well change the world, but I have no idea what it is. I, I can't, I, maybe brilliant, I can't see what it is, but I think you'll see a, a consolidation of a lot of those propositions into much more um, likely, you know, likely chance of being, um, uh, of coming to fruition. That's good news. Okay, so here, here's an interesting proposition, David, that uh, valuations will be down, right? So for the tech startup, the valuations will be down. That's, it seems to be fairly obvious. Uh, but for those uh, who have, uh, you know, the right idea or perhaps the right idea with some traction, uh, they will attract uh, uh, investors and we'll probably see at some point may maybe a, uh, a, an uptick in maybe not as many, but some really strong, fast growth in sure techs. And you'll see, I think, the ultimate move will happen fairly quickly. The carriers will want to engage with those guys fairly quickly when they ah, see... Ah, yeah, okay. When, we, when they realize we've changed our minds at, at home, in our in our companies and our and our homes about what we want and what we can afford and uh -huh. what we've got used to, I think they'll they'll realise they can't provide it. They they yeah. can't provide a whole bunch of those services that Instex could have provided if they were connected earlier on are not there yet because they're not connected. But if they got connected, then those customers are going to get happy. Okay. Oh, this so is that job, that's that uh -huh. jobs comment again. You know, 
people don't know what they want till you show it to them. Got it. If you start, they don't see what insects have got to offer. Almost no one sees what a fintech or an insect can offer. But gradually, you see a few of them inching out of the inching out of the incubation, mm -hmm. and they're beginning to make offers to people. They're beginning to see, be visible, and the speed at which we can communicate now across networks and social means means those those ideas can can migrate rapidly. And we're saying things like, well, why aren't we using more of these, for example, fintech startup banks who are much more dynamic, who could have got money to the end customer quicker to help them than these traditional banks, which are ploddingly slow and stunningly boring. And I, you know, I don't want to put myself off ever working for a bank again, but you know, that they simply cannot cope with anything that isn't business as usual yeah. at all. And, mm -hmm. and they've been shown to be lacking almost to a person, almost to a, a, a bank in getting money to people who need it in the front line. Uh, and so fintechs could have done that much quicker through social tools and online tools, right. online onboarding of, of new customers. They could have done the whole thing pretty safely, pretty rapidly. And, you know, we look at the old guy and go, really? You know, you, you, want, us to, you want us to deal with you? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that, that's a segue to, to uh, my next question. You, you had made a comment in your report about challenges facing the insurance industry. And, and I'm going to group two of them together. Developing leadership and mid-management cadre capable of transitioning to digital and ensuring that digital does not just become a veneer. And I, I think that's, uh, would you agree that that, that, that applies a, as much to the agency level as it does to the carrier level in the industry? You know, I've got a great saying I say for my insurance clients, and I've said this for probably getting on for two decades. If you implement new technology and do the same things, you've just wasted your money. Aha. Uh -huh. Because that's not what it's about. You mm -hmm. know, when you put had a laptop, it wasn't for a guy to sit in the office with a laptop. <laughs> and just have a smaller computer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. And we're mobile, we're connected, we're on broadband, you know. For goodness sake, you know, think about it before you invest the money in a piece of technology. Is it just allowing you to do things incrementally better than before? Incrementally uh, faster, incrementally more joined up? Honestly, you're wasting your money. This isn't a time for incremental change. It's not. It's a time for fundamental change to what, what you do. And, you know, that PIA survey that we had a glimpse right. with the other day that can't be released yet, that had one amazing fact I, I loved in there, which was about the number of people, and it was a very high percentage, and I'm not going to pre-announce what, what the PIA might want to say about this, but they, they talked about a um, massive percentage of people being dissatisfied with their websites. Having once sold websites, I, I, I laughed when they presented that one. I think I made a comment. It's like people, oh, they're dissatisfied because they thought when they turned on the website, money would fall, fall out of the sky, you know, directly into their agency. Um, and, and, you know, well, you, you and I know that marketing <laughs> says you've got to drive people to it. But the, the young kids, I promise you, they don't look at websites. Web, website. Website is, is yesteryears. Yeah, that's yes, yesteryears platform. You, you've got to use it for a bunch of stuff, but that's not where they go look for their sources of insight and wisdom. And you know they've moved on from that actually years ago. Yeah. The good news is that the boomers and the Gen X, we're still prepared to work our way through websites and navigate our way through in some way. But the bottom line is, look, you know, technology itself is is liberating. It's just hard work. You know, bad luck, you've got to think about it. It's very hard work. What does that actually mean I can do? And I've had meetings with 12 um, mid-sized company CEOs, and I was encouraged to go, may I tell this story? It's about a minute. Uh, and there's a reason for this. They said to me, will you come and talk? This is the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce. Thames Valley is not a big place. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, no, don't really want to come and do that. Thank you. Uh, and they said, well, look, it's, there'd be a number of mid-sized companies there that you could influence. And I said, well, that's nice, but I'm not coming. And they said, it's going to be held at Windsor Castle and you can stay overnight with oh. the Queen. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm coming. <laughs> so I said, I'm coming. I said, can I, can I choose a topic? And it was a simple one. It, it was about working from home. And I did this about <clears throat> eight years ago. And I simply said to them, will you allow your staff to work at home? And two said, we're beginning to do it. I said, good. Ten said, over my dead body. 
there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. I said, okay, let's mark that. And at the end of this hour, hour and a half, you tell me what you will do. And at the end of it, all 12 said, we're now going to implement people working from home. Because they simply got taken through the thinking, the, the processes, <clears throat> the benefits, the, the, the advantages, the issues you might have to face, and what that means by the time you, we got to the end of an hour and a half. So in an hour and a half, you can persuade people, you can show people what that truly means for your business, for your engagement with your customers, your productivity. It's a fundamental shift. And it's that degree of shift we need to encourage people to think about when they're thinking about digital and your your point about veneer sorry to make this a monologue but your your point about veneer is dead right if, if you're just um you know putting lipstick on a pig if, if you're just making it look slightly better um and it isn't fundamentally doing anything for the customer my encouragement would be don't do it you know just stick with your lousy website <laughs> you <don't want> <laughs> right okay it's, it's not going to do anything for you <laughs> all right so let, let's uh, let's speak directly to the agency force here. Um, I, I, I want to ask you what you think they should be doing now and um, how that's building towards some future. So in other words, I mean, so, so there's a strategic direction to it. And, and, I, and I realize there's right now, there is probably short-term strategic interests which are uh, involve uh, some critical survival issues. Um, but ideally, when we get through that period, we're moving in the right strategic direction. So talk, yeah, I'm gonna ask you to speak directly to the broker. Um, where should they be putting their energy and their resources and their focus right now? Right, well, number one is there is a massive role for the broker. So this, this idea that they are a, a bust plush is, is, is not right. So let me just say that from my perspective, looking forward, I see the role very clearly for a broker to interpret what, what is a requirement into how it can be met. Mm -hmm. my, my view of the broker is simply somebody who has a bigger head on them than, a, than selling insurance policies. They, they take a bigger view of what it means to address the issues that customers are presenting with. So sometimes the answer is insurance, for sure. Sometimes it's not insurance. It's other forms of mitigation of risk. Those other forms of mitigation of risk are going to increase as we go forward, because there are plenty of people in whole new sectors of our of our, our, our of our digital environment in Internet of Things, the analysis of data and information, the use of artificial intelligence to interpret that and to understand what's happening to manage risk for individuals. And that is, I see, the role of the broker is to know their customer well and interpret that within the context of what they exist for, which in the, the role of an insurance broker is to mitigate risk or to manage risk. And then you apply your knowledge and your network of other companies maybe working with you, not just insurance and carriers, to bring that value to your customers. It's a different model. It is a different model. Okay. I also uh, think it's a better model. I think it's more satisfying. Yeah. Okay. So now, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to like um, yeah, help paint some picture of how you see the world being different as it may affect the broker. So uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I was having a conversation with a colleague who, um, you know, admittedly, uh, not a client, a colleague, a little bit old school, uh, and, and he was pleased that all 35 employees were now remote and, and things were seemed to be going along pretty well. And then his comment was, I'm already getting I'm already getting the question that when this passes, do we have to go back to the office? And his position was, well, uh, for God's sakes, yes, that's how we run a business. And, you know, naturally, my question is why, you know, are, are you really going to is your building determining your business strategy? Or is it the other way around? So uh, my sense is that um, the, the world is going to look, feel, be different um, when we get through this than it was before. Um, some of it fairly predictable, just uh, shorten the time frame a lot. You know, kaboom, collapse, collapse the time frame. What, what do you think that world looks like and, and what advice would you give the broker about that? Well, the number one piece of advice is, you know, it's an old word but get agile i mean get agile in your thinking and who, who you're listening to and the, the belief about what it is you do 
It's almost mm -hmm. back to your point, Michael, exactly right. It says, what's the strategy? What's the purpose? What is our role? You know, every broker needs to think about this because there's several directions you can go in. What, what is our purpose? What is our role? What do our customers think our role is? What, are, what do we think our future customers will see our role? Okay, that's a, a view. Number two is, you know, be dead happy with digital. And I don't just mean the <laughs> slightly better versions. It's, it's just think about the whole range of stuff that's going to be, you know, made available to everybody. Oh, everything that um, we get on Google Home and, uh, and uh, Echo, Amazon Echo, is yeah. think about it it's five times more in two years. So anything that connects to anything, everything will have a IP address. Everything will have, have a, a status. Everything's condition will be known. You think about this, this pandemic, there's never been more news and more coverage of more illnesses with more vulnerabilities and more treatments than there ever have before. So you have to say, just for example, is how well am I? Now, at the moment, you say, how are you? I go, fine. You go, how are you? I'm fine. In the future, I'll say, how are you? You go, 76. I go, how do you do that? I'm only 63. You know, we'll quantify yeah. mm -hmm. health. We'll, we'll mm. know, I know how much coffee I drink, whether I drink it filtered. Does it take out the, the, the dileptides, whatever they're called, out of my coffee? How much energy exercise do I do? Every single piece of my environment where I live, is there granite in the ground? Is it bringing radiation through the house? Is it, am I exposed to other risk? I mean, everything around me has got a quantifiable amount of, of opportunity and risk. What is it? And I think what you've seen in COVID is there's been a massive talking about every aspect that can cause someone to die of COVID-19 or to live. Mm -hmm. Is it because they're coloured? Is it because they smoke? Is it because they're obese? Is it because they, they had a, a pre-existing a pre, uh, pre condition? All of those things measurable in the future. You know, in this crisis, people are saying, well, what did you have to have that killed you? What is it? You know, yeah. Some people yeah. die, okay. some people right. recover. Right. Right. We used to let things be down a happen chance. And then when you pulled risk, that was just fine. In the future, we're going to increasingly move towards priced risk. What is, what is the price of, of Michael today? You know, as we go forward, how would I price risk for him? What is he mm. doing? What can he mm -hmm. improve? And we've seen it with certain types of health insurance. They, make you, they like you to go to the gym and they want to quantify you. You're at the gym and you're doing something because it reduces their liability right now. You live a bit longer. Uh, or, or you're healthier longer than you die quickly, which is the nature of health insurance. And life insurance want you to linger forever. You think about all these things, they're not aimed at you as a customer, is my point. You, the broker, are aimed at the customer. So you, the broker, can say to me, as things emerge that do more from, to improve the quality of my life, my ability to be successful in my life, by all the things that I would normally insure for, you do that. Mm -hmm. You as a broker, you do that. You Got get it. the skills to do that. You, you get kids on board who actually get this stuff and you let them loose a little bit and say, look, here's, here's a thousand bucks. What would you buy tomorrow? And have you got some customers who will let you play with how you can manage things for them? Show me how it works. All right. So, so uh, in looking, well, looking over your comments, I think there are two things that stood out. No, number one is agility, adaptability is a skill set, and people need it right now. It's like you know, yep. uh, um, and it, it's not to minimize the importance of insurance skills, but this is a business skill that's absolutely fundamental. And number two is to get smart with digital, to really understand it as uh, as a series of business tools, not just technologies, but the way that it solves uh, business problems and delivers solutions. Um, all right. Well, but if I may uh, just say as a junk to that, Michael, the, in talking to the carriers recently, if they don't, you'll have to anyway. You know, the, the carriers that are, are beginning <coughs> to speed up, yeah. believe it or not, the carriers are speeding up the rate at which they're taking on digital. They're taking it seriously. They're, they've got people on the main board on their technology teams mm -hmm. they've got people they're reporting to they've they've, they've dragged their feet for, for a decade well they got tired of hearing mckinsey say the same thing report after report after report i mean they pay a lot of money for those reports so <laughs> <laughs> yeah they should use it right. Right? <laughs> well uh david so you, you've been uh, extremely generous with your time particularly the time zone across the pond 
Um, so uh, I do appreciate that. And I look forward to uh, seeing you at least digitally at our next um, Ensure Tech meeting. Uh, so on, on behalf of the brokers in uh, North America, primarily, that we, we seem to get listeners in every continent, but fundamentally here, um, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. It's my pleasure, Michael. It's always a delight to talk to you. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.